Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. I'm so excited that you're here today. As you can tell, I am still struggling a bit (laughs) with this pollen, you know. My voice is still kind of cracky, and I apologize for that. Uh, But that is just uh, the way of the world, you know, down here in South Louisiana in the springtime. Uh, I love the flowers. I absolutely love the flowers. I love the smell, the scent of the flowers. I've been taking walks in the evening. And uh, you can smell the, 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 the fragrance, the beautiful fragrance of the flowers. But it's one of those love-hate kind of things, you know. I love it, <laughs> but I know what it's doing to me. <laughs> it's making me sound like this. Oh, but I'm, I'm so happy uh, to be with you today. And I want to share a few things with you uh, that I think are going to be inspirational. Uh, I know that uh, we, I have an interview I'm going to share with you in just a bit uh, with Robin Davis, uh, who is an author. She's a, a professionally trained chef uh, and, a, and a food writer, been a food writer for years and years. And, uh, and she's an also, also an author. She wrote a book called Recipe for Joy. And I wanted to bring this to you today uh, for a special reason. I mean, for a particular reason. Uh, you may be aware of the fact that our Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, just released uh, a new document. And that document... Um, is entitled Amoris Letizia, and uh, it means the joy of love. It's all about family life. If you haven't had a chance to read it, you can actually download it uh, from the Vatican website. I'll put a link in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com. Easy way for you to get a a hold of that. It's a a PDF that you can download from the Vatican for free. Uh, It's 200 and something pages. (laughs) So it's lengthy. It's not, you know, if you don't like reading something, uh, like a PDF that's really long on a laptop or a desktop, you might just want to get a physical copy of the book. And you can do that too. It's going to be, I know, available from Amazon. I know a lot of Catholic uh, uh, book distributors are going to have it also that you can order online or pick up in, in in a bookstore to support the local economy. It's always a good option too. Uh, But if you want to take a gander, you know, you can, get summaries of this document uh, from, I know Bishop Barron with Word on Fire has a wonderful um, uh, summary where he pulls specific parts and quotes from the uh, the document and also has some videos where he talks about uh, uh, the document too. Not everybody has, you know, all the time in the world to read a, a long lengthy document, but The bottom line, I think, is if you look at the title of the document, it's all about joy, right? The joy of the gospel, it's the joy of love. It's the joy uh, that comes from family life. And this is, I think, particularly important for me and for you. Uh, If you are like me, uh, I I live in a family. I come from a family. (laughs) You know, I was born and and, and grew up in a family. Uh, So family life is really that, that, that basic cell of society. And not everybody has a pleasant uh, experience in the family, Uh, but, but the family gives us the insight into what God is like, into what the Trinity is like, into what our, you know, the communion of saints is like, what heaven 
is like. And so the family, there is an ideal, right? And we can look at the Holy Family, uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as, as an ideal of what family life is supposed to be like, that, that self-giving love, the, the, the joy that comes from pouring yourself out for others that it can happen in, in the family, right? It's supposed to happen in the family. It doesn't always, but it's supposed to. And so we can, I think, get a lot of inspiration here from this document, uh, Amoris Letizia, or Let, yeah, Letizia, which is uh, the joy of love, all about family life. Uh, because you know, as Mother Teresa used to say over and over and over again, you know, where 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 do we really? find love? Where do we experience love? Where are we called to really show love? It's in the family. You know, I recall uh, I spent years, you know, I think a total of four years uh, working with the missionaries of charity in some way, shape or form. I was in formation for two years with the missionaries charity fathers, uh, but I also spent a couple of years working with the nuns, uh, the, the missionaries of charity sisters in Baton Rouge, working with the poor, working with uh, the children. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that Mother Teresa used to say on a regular basis, you know, people wanted to say, what can we do? You know, I want to give money as an example. Let's just say someone wants to make a donation to her work and not that she would turn it down, but a lot of times mother Teresa would, that would not be the first thing she would, she wouldn't say, okay, give me a check. She would say, no, come and see, come and see. One of the things she talked about a lot was giving until it hurts that, that that's what God really calls us to in charity is to give until it hurts. And for a lot of us folks in the United States, it's easy for us to give five, 20, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars sometimes. But what's really, really hard for us to give our time, right? Because time is life. Time is ourselves. And it's very difficult to give. And, And she would say, no, come and see. And so sometimes that meant for people to come and see her in Calcutta, come and see the poor. That Sometimes it meant that. But a lot of times people would say, I want to come to Calcutta. I want to help. I want to go to China. I want to go to Africa. I want to go wherever and help. And Mother Teresa would say, no. Start in your own family. You know, the poorest of the poor may be the person sitting next to you at the table in your own home. And that we have to start there. Love starts at home is what she used to say. So I'm so excited. I have, I have to be honest. This is a confession. I have not read a single word of that papal document yet. (laughs) Why? Because life is busy. You know, in my former life, I used to be in education. I used to teach. I used to teach high school and I used to, um, uh, I taught religion. That was one of the subjects I taught a few different subjects, but religion, theology was one of the subjects that I taught. And so in that capacity, I had to read and do a lot of research. I had to read a lot. And, and I had the ability to do that because, well, the nature of teaching, you know, it, it allows you a certain amount of time to, to, to read, to spend doing that. And right now though, in my life, I am no longer in, uh, in the classroom, uh, I, I, I work, I actually have a, a job, a profession that I do outside of radio because, uh, you know, radio d- doesn't always put food on the table, even if this is the Catholic foodie show. <laughs> 
And so I'm busy and I've got a family and I have a little baby girl. I've got three teenagers and a little baby uh, who is 10 months old now. And so I've got a lot going on. I have not read the document yet, uh, but it is on my list of things to do. And I, I can't wait to get into it because I know that this is going to be sort of that continuation of what Pope Francis has already shared with us and the joy of the gospel, the, the joy of the Christian life that I think a lot of times we as Christians can find ourselves upset about things because things aren't going the way we want them to go. The world isn't the way we want it to be. And yet the gospel, right? Jesus in the gospel calls us to live the gospel joyfully, to live it cheerfully. And so we're called to this. And Pope Francis reminds us of this and the joy of the gospel. And now here we are with the joy of love, the joy of family life, because God meets us right where we are in our families and families. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you know what I'm talking about. Family life is messy, right? Life is messy and family life is messy. I'm going to tell you, I, I have had a hard time coming to grips with the messiness of life. When I was a, a seminarian, when I was in college, um, you know, you can get kind of, kind of isolate yourself to a certain degree. You know, you can kind of insulate yourself against the world and the messiness of life to a, to a point. But when you get out in the world, when you are married, when you have children, when you are engaged in life, all of a sudden you can't run away from it. Life is messy, but we're supposed to find joy right here in the mess. Why? Because that's where God meets us. He meets me and you right here in our daily lives, no matter how messed up it is, right? God is here. Anyway, that's, I'm so excited to read this document. I can't wait. And I wanted to talk about this with you today because I want to share this interview that I did. This is going back a couple of years now. Uh, Robin Davis, who over time has become a friend, uh, wrote a book called Recipe for Joy. And get that, right? The the joy of love and recipe for joy. I'm, I'm tying these two things together here for you. And I'm doing it for you and for me. And it was just such a joy for me to put this together and to re-listen to this conversation I had with Robin a couple of years ago about this book, uh, Recipe for Joy. And she tells the story. It does have recipes in it. She's a trained chef. It's got recipes in it. Uh, but she tells the story of she never, ever, ever thought that she would be married. Didn't want to be married. Didn't want children. But God worked in her life in such a way that she well, she got married <laughs> and had children, right? And they're, they're stepchildren, but they are a beautiful part of her, of her life and her family. They are the family. And she talks about the struggles, but also how she fi- found joy in the midst of the messiness of life, of family life. And I wanted to share that with you because it's just a real honest story. And it's, it's her own story. And of course, uh, we talk about the book. We talk about uh, some of the recipes in there. And uh, I'm just so excited to share this with you today. Uh, and I also, uh, this is going to take over the next couple of segments of the show. We're going to be taking a break really soon here. And then after we come back from the break, we're going to jump into that interview. It's going to go the next two segments. In the final segment, I want to talk with you about uh, nine of the most profound quotes of the Church Fathers on the Eucharist. So you are 
are listening to The Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. I'm Jeff Young, your host. The Catholic Foodie, stay tuned. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to The Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, The Catholic Foodie, here on Breadbox Media. So excited to be here with you today. And uh, I'm, I'm just, ah, oh, this is so good. This is so good. I had a chance uh, to listen to this interview again, this conversation that I had with Robin Davis a couple of years ago, and I'm just so glad I can bring it to you today. I think you're going to find it very uh, inspirational and, and joy-filled. I think it's going to really help. Uh, I know it's going to, I know it already helps me. I mean, to kind of make this connection of, of joy, finding joy in the midst of the messiness of family life. And, uh, what, what a fantastic uh, message, you know, and something I think I, I know I need to hear on a regular basis as a reminder. So I also want to remind you, this segment is going to be the bulk of it is going to be this, this conversation with Robin. And then when we come back from the next break, uh, we're going to jump right back into this conversation. You're not going to hear me until after your, your that, that, that second uh, that second break. So let's go ahead and listen right now. Robin Davis. Well, folks, God is so good. I mean, it's just, uh, it, I'm always amazed, constantly amazed at the goodness of God and how God can take something that is challenging for us, I mean, suffering, real suffering in life, and make something not only good, but also beautiful out of it. And, you know, recently I was asked by uh, Loyola Press to review a book, a new book on the Catholic scene, and uh, it's about food. I mean, food definitely plays a role there, which I guess is why they kind of uh, contacted me, and I, I was happy to do it. The The, the title of the book really uh captured my attention. It's called A Recipe for Joy. And I tell you what, I started reading it and I thought to myself, not only am I going to review this, but I want to talk to the author. (laughs) So I'm so happy that today I have Robin Davis with me on the phone. Robin, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. It really is. Look, I am just blown away. Uh, I haven't finished the entire book yet, but uh, man, I am just blown away by your story. Well, thank you so much. I I really appreciate that. It was um, a great story to be able to write, and and I love your introduction because that's very much how I felt. There was a lot of suffering, and yet it's a reminder that God really does have a plan for everything that's happening in our lives. Now you know the the title really struck me when when uh, I first got the the email asking about the review the uh, review. Uh, tell us what what is it all about? Like a recipe for joy. What's what's the point of the the title? The point. I'm I'm a food writer in Columbus, Ohio, and I've been writing food for about twenty years. Um, but this is a different kind of recipe. This is kind of the recipe that God had for my life. Um, I had, as many of us do, my own plan. I had my own direction that I thought I should go, um, and God had a different plan, a different recipe, and His was better. So the story, in a nutshell, is um, about how I married a widower with three young children, became um, an instant stepmother, uh, instant mother, really, to them. 
and the challenges that went along with all of that, but also the beauty and the joy and how I had the language of food to kind of bring us all together. A lot of the ways that our new family got to know each other was through meals and through food, which is really a universal language. Right, and that's uh, that's one of the things that we, I really lament today, and uh, is the fact that you know, I mean, even twenty years ago or thirty years ago, when I was a kid, Sunday supper was a big deal. I mean, my mm-hmm. entire family, cousins, aunts, uncles. I mean, everybody would get together at my grandparents' house. My grandfather loved to cook. He's a good little Cajun guy, you know, loved to cook mm-hmm. and uh, big, big meals, big to feed tons of people. And, uh, and that was something that was just part of my growing up. We did that all the time, but more and more, I think that we're being stretched. You know, our families are being stretched. Uh, individuals are being stretched and we're not really coming together around the table the way, the way I think God made us to be, huh? I agree with that a hundred percent. And for me, I did it because I was like you, I grew up, family dinner was something we did every night. Um, No matter what we were doing after school, if we had softball practice or choir practice or cheerleading, we were still expected to be home to have that time around the table. Um, And I, in my own family now, did it as a way to communicate but it, and, and really to draw my family in. But it really was something that I saw was necessary kind of for all families. It was about the food. It was about feeding my, my husband and my new children. But it was also a time that we could sit and talk um, with no technology at the table, no, you know, nothing to distract us, and just look at each other and smile and laugh um, or share our concerns. I really can't think of another experience in our in our world today that is like sitting down and, and breaking bread with someone. Uh, really sharing a meal is a way of, of sharing love and of communicating. It's non-threatening. It's, um, there, there's just nothing bad about it to sit down and eat and kind of fill your bellies and fill your soul. You know, and it, and it reflects so well to our experience of uh, the Eucharist, you know, our experience mm-hmm. of mass. I mean, in a way, I, the way I have likened it, cause, you know, I, I taught teenagers for too long <laughs> for years and years. And, and I did youth ministry and all that. And so I'm used to taking concepts from, you know, our faith and, and trying to present it in a way that, that, that teens would understand. And the way I likened like the Eucharist, I mean, that, that is our family table. That, that, that's God's family table and we're there. And uh, one of that's one of the reasons why we don't want to skip out too early. You know, we, you want to be right. there, you know, and celebrate the entire, entire meal, the entire thing. And he just loves us so much. And what does he do? He loves us. He, he wants to feed us. And I see that parallel between uh, our experience of church and, and what we experience every day around the table. And I've talked about that for a long time, but I never, it was recently, probably, I don't know, just less than six months ago. Someone used a word that I had never thought of in terms of, of those two types of meals, right? Around the, the kitchen table, the family table at home, and the, the God's family table at, at church. And that word was communion, because I never thought of using that word to describe what happens around the family table at home. But that is exactly right. 
isn't that isn't that true? Um, communion, community, that sense that we're all together and we're all sharing. Uh, we're sharing of that meal. And you know, it's really no accident that there are so many stories about food in the Bible. That's it's not an accident. It's something that that God used, that Jesus used, because it's a universal language. It's something that we all understand. Everybody eats. Um, nobody can feel outside from that. Um, they all understand it. I love the word communion when it comes to to the table and to our faith, because that's really exactly exactly what it is. Yeah, and I mean, I, I refer back to uh, uh, stories in, in Scripture all the time uh, because, it, it, I mean, God hardwired this into us. <laughs> it's not, and, you know, it's, I feel like um, it, we're in a race today. Everything is so fast, and and I tell you the truth, and you know, I I do this. I've been doing the, the Catholic Foodie podcast now and and uh, the blog for about five years, and I've had people over the years uh, complain to me because it seems like. Um, well, it seems like um, my my expectation is that everybody should cook every day and and get around the table every day. And I mean, I guess I do. I I, mean, I think that the world would be a better place if we all actually gathered around the table every day and to you know uh, 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 to be together to to do that. You know, but the fact is, the reality is, is that life really does pull us in different directions today. And it's very, very difficult. Would you have any kind of words of wisdom for, for a family who uh, maybe sees the value, absolutely sees the value of coming together, but, but the reality is just not easy to make happen? I think my words on that would be to plan a little bit. You know, we plan to go to church. We plan um, the mass that we'll go to, and we all make that arrangement one day a week. It's not that much more difficult to do the same thing with a family meal. And it doesn't have to be anything that's complicated. Um, anytime you can sit your family down together, um, even if it's something as simple as grilled cheese and tomato soup or, um, you know, tacos, it's still the idea that you're sharing that all together. And with a little bit of planning, you can really make that happen. You take the time that you had on Sunday, maybe you're going to the grocery store that day, plan out a week of meals, plan out the time that you can all be together. Um, sometimes when my family couldn't all sit down, all five of us, uh, we would work it out that, uh, maybe Ken would eat with the girls and I would eat with Ben because that's, you know, they needed rides here or there. But we made sure that even if the table was for two or for three, it was never, it was never for one. We never wanted um, the kids just to grab something out of the refrigerator or grab a bowl of cereal. I know that's, that's a reality and that happens sometimes, but even if you can sit down um, with a child or with your spouse during that time and talk with them, it can turn even that bowl of cereal or that cup of yogurt into a meal and a time to share a little bit. That's right. You know, I, I was uh, talking about that yesterday, that even the pagans understood this years ago. <laughs> you know, Epicurus, a, a Greek uh, philosopher, uh, once said that, um, you know, when you're ready to, to get something to eat, the first thing you should do is to look for someone to eat with before you look for something to eat. I completely agree with that. I, I do. It's, you know, it's just, 
There's such a, a sharing uh, when you do that to to just sit down and um, and share that time with another person. We we're just we're not meant to be solo creatures. That's right. That's right. We got to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. How do you see the role of the cook in the family? Is that it, can it can it be almost like a uh, a ministry of sorts, or or maybe one of the the spiritual gifts of, of the Holy Spirit? I absolutely think it is, um, and it, it's something that you can share and you can kind of train your family to go out and do uh, with whatever communities they end up living in. Um, I don't think that when I started making family dinners for my family, I looked at it that way. Uh, I looked at it as something that I was comfortable with in a situation that I wasn't always comfortable being a parent um, and and being a wife weren't things that I was always comfortable or thought I was good at, but I was always good at cooking. So I would go into the kitchen and I would cook almost out of selfish reasons, but then I realized the way it was feeding the family uh, was something that was really beyond me, beyond the food. So I do think it's a ministry. I think it's it's absolutely a gift. And like I said, it's one that you can then train your family to go on and do as well. My uh, my kids are all in college now, and two of them are in dorms, so they're not doing much cooking. But um, our son is uh, lived in an apartment this year, and we really encouraged him, and he really set it up so that he eats with his roommates at least two or three times a week. They'll sit down together, make a meal, um, they shop together, they take that opportunity to work together, and it just teaches you so much. And I'm hoping that the girls will be able to do that as well. Um, again, in, in the middle of a, of a life that's very, very busy, you know, the, the frantic college life where everything is grab and go, they do take the time to kind of sit down and cook uh, and enjoy each other's company, away from studies, away from maybe anything else that, that might be pulling them. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great to see, you know, young people, because that's, I mean, we're, again, I think that's a, a, a group that uh, is, is way busier than they, they should be, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, uh, I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, when you, get, when you sit down at dinner, and I know this is, this is for us. I mean, we don't have television going on in our house. And I know when I, grew, when I was growing up, we did. We had the TV was on all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, but sometimes I've had families who've asked me, you know, what do you, you know, they want to get around the table. They see the importance of it. But what do you do? <laughs> I mean, you know, what do you talk about? Because, I mean, sometimes people have, in families, they have kind of a communication breakdown or they got, issues. And so are there any tips that you might have as to how families could not only maybe start to, to eat together more often, but what they could do around the table to kind of, I don't know, jumpstart conversation or, or something like that? 
Well, that, that's funny um, because I, I think that's absolutely true. We, we get used to talking to each other via text, you know, um, in, in a couple of lines and a few characters to actually have a conversation. It feels like it's becoming a lost art. There was um, a game that we played, and I write about this in, in Recipe for Joy, and it's called High Low. And it's, it's as basic as basic could be, but we would go around the table and everybody w- would say what their high point of the day was and what their low point of the day was. And you could have more more than one thing, um, but it gave everyone at the table insight into maybe what that person was feeling. Maybe, um, you know, maybe Ben would say, you know, my high point was I got an A on this test and my low point was so-and-so was, was really mean today. And then we could kind of see, oh, you know, he's, he's happy about his studying, but he's struggling maybe with this, this relationship. And we we also got to share, not as parents, but as people. You know, we could, I could say uh, I had this this challenge at work. I had this problem at work, um, but I had this really great comment from a reader, and and the kids could then look into our lives, not just as parents, but as people. Um, I think that's a great game. It's one that my nephews, uh, my sister's children, who join us um, a lot, like to play too. They like to play so much that sometimes they want to play it not even around the. Day. Dinner table. They just kind of want to tell you uh, what's going on in their lives. And it's just, it's a great icebreaker. You know, there are games now you can buy when you have dinner parties that are icebreaker games, little questions on, um, on cards, and I think that's kind of funny, but it's it's not unlike that with the family. You know, start with the basic things, preferably questions that are not open ended, that just get the yes or no answer. Uh, and I I think that making it a non threatening environment too, making it something that's um, comfortable and a place to share where you can say anything and it's going to be okay. Um, I think that all of those things are really important. That's uh, that I, I found that to be the case, at least in my house. Uh, you know, I want to ask you a couple of questions real quick before, about the uh, the book itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a recipe for joy, a stepmom story of finding faith, following love, and feeding a family. And I love how you have this set up. I mean, the, the chapters are broken down into like the, the, the parts of a meal, right? The, the toast, the appetizer, the soup, the salad, the bread, the main course, the dessert. Just, I love that. That's very, very cool. Uh, now, well, in we addition- wanted it to be a, a celebratory meal because, as we said, there is there is some suffering in in the book, um, but there's also a lot of celebration. So I definitely wanted it to have that feeling. And that, you know, that's been like a theme in my life recently. Um, And I think I've thought about it even more since the election of Pope Francis, because he seems to be just a a person of joy and and a person who um, who understands that even in the midst of suffering, life is a gift and, and life is we're supposed to celebrate life. And isn't that true? Don't you have that feeling every time? Every time I see him and he's smiling, or you know, he's he's touching someone, I just have the feeling that he is this very joyful person and and simple too. I think sometimes we make things a lot more complicated than they need to be, oh, and yeah. it seems that with him, <laughs> it's simple and joyful and. Boy, is that great. That is awesome. It really is. And, uh, you know, in the book, uh, you have this this wonderful story. And I just, I absolutely love that. But you also have some recipes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
I do, um, and and their recipes they're they're more than what we would do certainly on a on an average night. I um, in no way think everyone should have you know an, a seven course meal for dinner every night, but they were things that um, I would make on special occasions. There's um, there's a cocktail uh, that's called uh, it's a pomegranate cocktail, but I would also make it in a non-alcoholic uh, form for things like uh, Valentine's Day. I would make a candlelight breakfast for the whole family and we would make it instead of with champagne with um, you know sparkling apple cider a non-alcoholic cider and I would set out the fine china you know for for pancakes or muffins uh, just for that day and then uh, some of the other recipes are, are variations on on things that we did eat quite a bit like the baked goat cheese salad mm, uh, I might wow. not bake goat cheese <laughs> every night but doing a version of that salad you know that's that's showing up on my dinner table two or three nights a week because it's really something that my family enjoys. Oh, I love it. <laughs> You've got the t- a tomato and roasted garlic soup. Oh. And, and that's just a little bit, you know, fancier than what we, we might do. Um, but it's the kind of soup that, um, that you can make on a weekend and then you can enjoy it uh, during the week. Maybe we would have it on, you know, I would make it on Sunday and we would have it and I could pack it in lunches, uh, the kids' lunches or in, in Ken and, and my lunch uh, that, that we could then enjoy. And it just, it, it's, it's a really delicious soup. Um, roasting the garlic, of course, brings out all the sweetness. I've had a few people say it has three heads of garlic. That's a lot of garlic. But when you roast it, it really just it mellows it and it makes it, um, instead of pungent, it makes it really sweet. Yeah, sweet. I love that. And, I, you know, I love when I roast garlic, one of the, my favorite parts, it, my house just smells so good. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? <laughs> I love it. Uh, so what, do you have like a favorite uh, uh, meal that you like to prepare? It's a little like picking a favorite child. Um, hard, hard to do. It depends so much on on what the season is, on on how much time I have, and really even on what my mood is. Uh, right now in spring, um, I'm loving asparagus. You can put asparagus in anything. I love to make quiche this time of year. Um, and put asparagus in it or make salmon, make roasted salmon. You know, you just put it in a, a hot oven with a little bit of olive oil mm-hmm. and salt and pepper. Um, I have a couple plants that we, we brought in for the winter, um, thyme and rosemary. And I'll chop those up and put them on top when it comes out of the oven. Uh, now, my kids don't love salmon, but they do like shrimp. So um, I might do something like that, saute shrimp with some garlic um, and, again, Throw in, throw in the herbs at the end, and then rice, um, peas. I love fresh peas this time of year, and we are just, just, just starting to get strawberries in. And um, I'm a huge fan of that in, in the May-June season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of strawberries down here, too. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the book, obviously, I mean, the book Recipe for Joy is, is about family. But do you have like a, a, a who, who do you think would be, uh, who, who could benefit? I mean, not just, I mean, in my opinion, it's almost anybody, huh? 
Well, that I hate to say that it it applies to anyone, and yet it kind of does. It applies to anyone. I think it can help anyone in a blended family situation that might be struggling. Um, but it can also be in a traditional family situation where there might be struggles. But I think that there's also a lot of people um, who've had loss. Uh, my husband lost his his first wife to uh, breast cancer. Uh, I lost. My both of my parents uh, at a relatively young age, and so I think it's about taking those those losses and still finding joy in life. So I think that anyone who's experienced loss or suffering may also find, and I would hope that they would find a sense of hope and joy in this book as well. And anyone who's on a faith journey, Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was on one. And it turned out that that's exactly the road that I was on. Um, Anyone who's trying to find um, meaning and God in their life, I think would probably benefit from the book as well. That's right. A Recipe for Joy. It's a stepmom story of finding faith, following love, and feeding a family. Robin, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. It's been a pleasure. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. I am Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic foodie who is suffering with his allergies. Oh, my goodness. This is, uh, you know, uh, oh, well, what can we do, right? Offer it up. (laughs) Oh, man, what a great interview, huh? That was fantastic. Uh, Robin is just so, so, she's so awesome. Uh, We were uh, both at the uh, Los Angeles uh, Religious Education uh, Congress. Big Congress took place. It is the 60th year, I believe. It took place uh, just a couple of months ago in L.A. And uh, we had kind of talked uh, via Facebook. You know, I'd never met her in person. We've only talked on the phone and, um, and you know, through social media and all that. And I, and I said, hey, I'd love to, to get together with you. And uh, lo and behold, guess what? It, we just never, never were able to connect. It's, she was actually speaking at the Congress. I had several things I was, I was juggling at the time and, and, uh, people I needed to talk to and meet and, uh, arrangements that had been made. And in, in the end, we, we never connected. So I'm kind of bummed about that, but who knows, uh, maybe the next big, uh, Congress or conference or whatever that, uh, that I attend will, will be there at the same time. You never know. You never know. Uh, so anyway, I, I certainly hope that that was uh, inspirational for you. I would love to hear what you have to say. Uh, you know, you can always call the voice feedback line, 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. Voice feedback line, is, it's, it's super simple. You just pick the phone up, call that number, uh, and leave me a voice message. Uh, tell me what, you know, what, what's on your mind. Yeah, uh, if you want to talk to me about the uh, the conversation I had with Robin and anything that she had to say, how you were inspired, I'd love to hear it. If you have a question about uh, cooking, something about a particular recipe, I'd love to hear that as well. I have a lot of folks who reach out to me uh, on social media, whether it's the Facebook page Catholic Foodie, uh, Facebook page at Facebook.com/slash Catholic Foodie, or Twitter. The handle there is at. Catholic Foodie on Instagram, uh, Catholic Foodie again on Instagram, but I have a lot of folks who reach out to me in these different places with questions about, 
recipes. Even even over at CatholicFoodie.com, uh, I had someone just the other day uh, comment on, uh, I believe it was the red beans and rice. No, I was using using pickled pork as a as a seasoning, as a way of seasoning uh, red beans and rice. And uh, it's a question about using a, or, or making the recipe in a crock pot. And I was able to respond pretty quickly. And sometimes I'm not able to respond quickly when you when you leave things on the, the website. But in this case, I, I was uh, a much more quick, I think, in responding to things on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But I'm, I'm available in those uh, in that capacity. So if you have questions about recipes or cooking, please do reach out to me in those ways. Again, you know, voice feedback's fun because I get to hear your voice. Too. It's not just me here on the show, but I get to hear you, and I'm always excited about that. 985-635-4974 is the voice feedback number. Now, I came across uh, this article on churchpop.com. Uh, I guess it was a few weeks back. I've, I've had this as something I've been wanting to, to, to share with you. Uh, church pop is kind of fun. Right, it's fun, laid back, a lot of great graphics. Uh, the 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 sub title there on the website is "Make all things, make holy all the things." Right, make holy all the things. Church pop, and uh, it's it's fun. They've got lists and uh, quizzes and articles and videos and all that kind of uh, fun stuff. And this one, this one really struck me because it's called nine of the most profound quotes of the church fathers on the Eucharist. And I, I used to have so much fun with the early church fathers when I was teaching, because when I would teach uh, both religion and theology classes, but also uh, like confirmation uh, prep for high school students, when I was doing that too, I love talking about, you know, bringing up the church fathers because, you know, high school kids, they're teenagers and, and you know, their view of life is just so narrow, right? They only know what they know and they're young and they don't know a whole lot, even though they tend to think they do. Uh, but it's very narrow. And so I love, I love being able to bring in things that would help them to kind of expand their, their view. And the early church fathers were great because the kid I taught in a Catholic school. And of course, when I'm in, my, in the parish talking to, you know, helping kids prepare for confirmation, Again, I'm talking to Catholics, and so they know what Mass is like. And for a lot of teenagers, what's the common thing you hear? Well, Mass is so boring, right? Mass is so boring. And so they have at least an understanding of what's going on. They, they know what the Mass is all about, even though they may be bored in it. And so I could bring in the church fathers, and, and they would say, what, like, wow, like they had Mass 2,000 years ago? Like, really? You know, they, they were doing the same things then that we're doing now? Whoa, that's that's pretty amazing, you know. And so it, it it provided for us sort of a springboard into a conversation. So here we go, here we go. We have the nine or nine of the most profound quotes of the early church fathers on the Eucharist. Um, and let me see, where am I going to start? <clears throat> Here's the first one: uh, Recognize in this bread what hung on the cross, and in this chalice. What flowed from his side. That's St. Augustine of Hippo. He was around the 300s, the 300s AD. Recognize in this bread what hung on the cross and in this chalice 
what flowed from his side. That's a powerful one. Powerful. Here we go. Another one from St. Cyril of Jerusalem. And I wish they had dates on here. They don't have dates of when this was said. But uh, that would be very helpful if they did. St. Cyril of Jerusalem still is the first 200 to 300 years of the church. So we're talking very, very early. St. Cyril of Jerusalem said, just as by melting two candles together, you get one piece of wax. So I think one who receives the flesh and blood of Jesus is fused together with him. And the soul finds that he is in Christ and Christ is in him. It's beautiful. Very beautiful, very profound. I love that. This is St. Ignatius of Antioch. And St. Ignatius was uh, was a contemporary. He knew the apostles. St. Ignatius did. So he says, I have no taste for the food that perishes, nor for the pleasures of this life. I want the bread of God, which is the flesh of Christ, who was the seed of David. And for drink, I desire his blood, which is love that cannot be destroyed. St. Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, Tertullian. Tertullian says, and this is beautiful because we have all these different early church fathers, these bishops, right, who are in different places. Alexandria, Jerusalem. Uh, St. Augustine was... Uh, in Hippo, which was in Africa, Northern Africa, right? All over the place in in that early part of the church, their first 200, 300 years of the church. And and they're saying the same thing. They have the same experience, that same understanding that the bread and wine consecrated in the Eucharistic prayer during the Holy Mass, the liturgy, uh, becomes in some way that's mysterious to us, the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, what we call the Eucharist. And that, that when you receive that sacrament that you are taking within your body, the actual presence of Jesus, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. So pretty awesome stuff when you think about it, right? So Tertullian says, um, the flesh feeds on the body and blood of Christ, that the soul likewise may be filled with God. And that's beautiful because it shows the humanity, right? That, that, that what we are, we are body and soul and we approach God that way. And remember what I said in the very beginning of the show today, that God meets us in the very mess of our lives, right? He is not afraid. Jesus, think of it this way. Jesus is not afraid of your messiness and my messiness. And one of the things when I think about that, one of the the things that comes to me that's just such a, such a strong image is that where was he born? Where was he born? Jesus was born in a, in a cave, in a stable where they kept animals. I don't know if you've been on a farm lately, (laughs) but animals don't smell so good all the time. And animals, you know, they They don't have like plumbing, you know, running water. They don't go to the bathroom in toilets, right? They go to the bathroom wherever they go. And so even, even, even close to where they lay down, close to where they're kept. And so it stinks. And Jesus being God's son could have been born anywhere, but he was born there. And I've been to Bethlehem. 
You know, it's a beautiful church now, a shrine, a beautiful basilica there now. But then 2000 years ago, it was a stable with stinky stuff in it, you know, but Jesus comes there. He's not afraid of our stinkiness. He's not afraid of our messiness. He's not afraid of our filth. And where is he placed in Bethlehem? Where is he placed in a manger? which is a feeding trough, right? A feeding trough for animals. And and he's born in Bethlehem, which is known as the house, as Bethlehem means, house of bread. So the house of bread, Jesus comes to us where we are in our messiness, in the messiness of our lives and places himself or is placed in a feed trough as our food. And this is what we have in the Eucharist. He is not afraid of our mess. And that is just such, to me, that's the joy of the gospel. That is the good news. (laughs) I love it. He is not afraid to come to us and he does come to us. And that is, uh, wow, that is so awesome. And it's the Easter season. So I can say hallelujah, right? Hallelujah to that. We are not going to have time today to get into all nine of these quotes, but you can, you can be assured. I will put a link in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com. You will be able to find them there. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, bon appetit.